I'm Jay Pitts, a real estate broker, agent, leader, and investor. For the last decade, I've navigated the craziest of real estate markets this country has ever seen, selling over 2,000 homes, moving in and out of markets, always ahead of the curve. And now I'm bringing that perspective to you. This is your resource, and Real Talk About Real Estate starts right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Resource, Real Talk about real estate. Jay, how's it going? Dude, it's going great, man. It's good to see you again. You've been gone for a little bit. I I, I have. I have. And today has been a little bit crazy for me. Back in first time back, first day back in town, and I'm sure a lot of bases to cover. Oh, unreal. Yeah. Like unreal. Like interviews, meetings, recruiting sessions. Well, let's talk a little bit about where you've been because we talked real briefly about what today's topic's going to be. And I know that you've done a lot of research on this, but you've kind of got to fill me in. Why don't you tell everybody where you were this past weekend? Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's honestly kind of uh, feeling kind of funny to say being in the business, you know, pretty much by myself for a decade. Um, I've never been to the National Association of Realtors Convention before, and this is my first my first trip. So uh, in Chicago, several days, uh, which if you're not familiar, it, Chicago is actually the home of didn't know that the National Association of Realtors. So their their home office is there, um, actually on the Magnificent Mile, right there on Michi- oh, cool. Michigan okay. Avenue. Um, I, I mentioned that in a meeting earlier, and somebody said, "Well, maybe our dues are." a little too expensive, you know, <laughs> like, like we shouldn't be having prime real estate on, uh, on the mag mile, but no, no was in, uh, Chicago for a few days, got to learn some interesting stuff and specifically one session above all kind of speaks to me, um, as a result. But, you know, before we get to kind of dive into that, do you realize that 28,000 people attend or attended the National Association of Realtors Convention. 28,000 went to just this convention? Just this convention, 28,000. I would probably believe you if you told me that there were 28,000 realtors. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, I, mean, I mean, I know that's a really small number comparatively, but... Well, I mean, the National Association... That's a huge so- turnout. No, it's it's an, an insane turnout. Um, I have been to conventions all sorts. You know, I've been to Inman, I've been to Remax, I've been to coaching conferences, I've been to all these things... And I've never been to, um, I've never been to one that had that many people. Twenty eight thousand is is really kind from of, across brokerages and and companies too. Yeah, all companies, shapes and sizes, sorts. You know, I mean, it's a it's a trade organization. So yeah, all yeah. members are welcome. Of course, there are fees and you know things to go, and you got to find a hotel room, and it's yeah, a lot yeah. of expense. But I actually had the the pleasure of going and representing our local association. I'm a cha- the chair of our young professionals network here, right? Just kind of something I fell into. Like <laughs> <laughs> I I had spent my entire career building my business and not really giving back as much as I felt. I started to feel a little guilty, so. Um, I volunteered to be on a committee shortly after got asked to be the vice chair. And shortly after that, the chair stepped down. <laughs> so like literally in two weeks time from joining the first committee I ever joined, I was the chair. Yeah. So it was kind of thrust upon you. Yeah. Well, it was thrust upon me, but this is my second year. So I agreed to this. I re-upped. Yeah. If you were me, I would feel guilty all the way up until the week where my dues came due and then I wouldn't feel so guilty anymore. I felt a lot better after that. So, you know, I, um, 
I enjoy it. I enjoy giving back to our industry. I enjoy being a part of something that moves the needle for something that is actually very passionate for me, which is young professionals. Um, It was something that I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder early in my career. You may have heard me say, but um, I never liked the suggestion that some experienced agents had, you know, or, or maybe, maybe they were, you know, not so apparent in the suggestion, but more kind of underlying with it that uh, uh, an agent without so much experience wasn't as credible. Oh, sure. Yeah. And so I was very, very, and you, you've you heard me. We've talked, we've talked about, about it here on the show. Yeah. We've talked about millennials. We've talked about a whole bunch of things <laughs> and I have my opinions, but um, I, yeah, I just, I, I don't think that your age really dictates or even your years in the business. Yeah dictates how credible a professional you can be. Now there's something to experience, but like, frankly, you know, and you hear it every time the show opens. I mean, I've sold over 2000 homes. I've been in the business 10 years. There've been agents and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, man, but there's been agents that have done this for 40 years and not sold anywhere near 2000 homes. Right. And so, you know, I've got a volume of experience and I think that's the same thing for young agents getting to it. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. But before we get, too down, too far down the rabbit hole. Um, I heard some really interesting statistics. Okay. Um, so what was the subject of this talk? You said there's one that stuck out mostly to you. Yeah, it was, it was Lawrence Yoon, which is the, you know, basically the chief economist for NAR. Okay. Right. And, and the, the guy's got a resume and I mean, I won't, you know, read you all of it, but but I mean, basically senior vice president of research for national association of realtors. He's, you know, regularly appears on, you know, your CNBC, your Bloomberg, your BBC news, you know, he, he's a forward looking kind of guy. He leads an entire department of research and they've got a pretty big, um, you know, a pretty big budget for the kind of thing, um, that he does, which is kind of predict trends, spot things happening in the marketplace and position the NAR leadership to be out in front because frankly, man, I mean, they're a trade organization that represents tons of Americans. So you know? this is like housing trends, renting versus buying. A- anything, you know, could could be financing or interest rates. But or macro stuff, Well, right? macro stuff. Macro stuff. Well, they get down. They get down specific. But like okay. the m- majority of his talk was macro. I mean, there was a lot of talk. And, you know, we're not we're, – we're pretty apolitical on this podcast. Sure. So, you know, not going to get too much into that as – you know, we'll do as much as we have to today to discuss the topic, but, you know, talked a lot about Trump's tax plan, Yeah, you know, tax reform. And, you know, I can basically categorically say that NAR is opposed to it. Okay. Um, for a couple of reasons of which some of which we'll discuss here in a moment, but, um, basically they are charged NAR with protecting homeownership because right. homeownership make sales transactions and sales transactions is how their membership makes a living. Yeah. You know, sales transactions among a, a few other things, you know, property management, but revenue generated from the transacting of real estate is the basic form of revenue that the professional, the professional membership uses to pay their dues, which is the only reason they exist. Right. You know, if you, if you can't feed your family, you're not going to pay dues to a trade organization. Right. Okay. So, um, some interesting stuff, man. So let me ask you this, Gabe. Okay, you know, hit me. What would you expect to hear from an economist 
talking about real estate. I don't know. Maybe one charged with protecting agents, informing agents so that they can remain pr- protected, informing our leadership as realtors. What would you expect to hear from an economist? Something like how many homes are selling in a year or, you know, the average price point of some different places. I mean, that might be too specific to go to. That's getting, that's level, getting kind of specific. Okay. So what are the threats then? Let's, 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 let's take another step back. What are the threats to realtors right now? If less people are buying homes, less people buying homes. Yeah. More renters. Okay. So, so, so we, we've kind of taken a little bit of a macro approach, right? To the topics that we address in this podcast, right? Like we're not getting too specific. Like those of you that listen, you know, we're here in Louisville, Kentucky, right? Right. Small town, USA, Midwest. You know, we like bourbon and we like horse racing, but <laughs> you know, we're, we like, we like baseball bats, you know, like those <laughs> yeah. of you that don't know. A good portion of them are made here. But do, do our opinions locally on real estate affect those nationally? I mean, if we're talking about our market, not really. No. So, so you know, this, for this guy to be effective, he needs to be able to speak to all realtors. Yeah, definitely. Right? So what does tax reform do to all realtors? What is happening in the market? What are the trends? We've talked about millennials. The danger report was initiated by NAR. It was commissioned by NAR. You know, what what – Things are happening. We've talked about, you know, the effect that certain, you know, trend-setting kind of topics, you know, have on our industry. So anyway, he talks about prices, yeah, affordability, uh, inventory, sentiment. Okay, you know, m- things that drive the consumer's decisions, right? So let me ask you this: What would you guess is well, and and. I will bury the lead a little bit and say some things I've said on this podcast he would argue with. Okay. Interesting. Okay? He would argue with a couple of things in this pod that I've said before in this podcast. And and we can go back to the consumer housing trends report that we've quoted before. And there's a few there's a few departures there. Some things that I could I could see. Um but what would you think he would say about supply? Uh well, I think it's pretty widespread that supply is pretty low right now, isn't it? I mean, we're in the middle of an inventory shortage, not just in our market, but in a lot of places. It is, but where is it heading? I mean, is it, I'm sure he probably said it's heading for a correction. No, that's a good point. Um, so one thing we would agree upon, he and I, and some things and assertions I've made was that inventory shortage is a bit of a new normal. Yeah. Okay. So what I found as really, really intriguing, and another thing that he agreed with me on was that – Baby boomers are not going to help us create or correct our housing supply. The downsizing myth, yeah. The downsizing myth. He agrees with me there. Um, So we are going to be reliant upon builders to take up the majority of the housing that we need to to round out our supply. Sure. Okay. We're going to need builders. There's a challenge there, though. Because liquidity is still not what it needs to be. The the available financing is not there to speculatively build. But but beyond that, he's his argument is is that demand may not be what it has been in the near future. Interesting. Like it'll follow supply into cooling down. Okay, so there's a a generational trend that he cites, and it's been a hot button topic in this podcast the since the very beginning. You and I have talked about something, and it's been actually part of the conversation where you and I have gone back and forth quite a okay. bit. Okay. I feel like I already know what you're going for. So where am I going? It. Is this the millennials, the myth that millennials don't even want to buy homes? A- absolutely. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. 
he says that they're nearly indifferent. They have to be incentivized, okay? And they have been. And a hallmark part of Trump's tax reform plan is removing some of the incentive to own a home. Yeah. Now, they have not removed, and I don't think they – I think it's because they know they would never get away away with it. They've, they've not removed the tax uh, – the interest tax credit. Yeah, tax no, breaks on, yeah. The tax break that you get from paying mortgage interest. Right. Um, but it has been discussed that it would be included in a larger limited general deduction, which basically means that the millennial that doesn't own a home that is – According to this economist, may benefit from it without having to buy a home. Somewhat indifferent that they would still get the tax break without buying a home. I mean that makes sense, but I feel like in my mind, and I and I can't speak for all millennials on this. I think one of the biggest incentives when you if you were to ask the average millennial what's an incentive of being a homeowner, they're not thinking about mortgage interest reduction so much as they're thinking about paying less per month than they pay in rent. That's well, the biggest incentive. I, I would tend to agree with that, and so the counter argument. To what is what the point I just made? Right. Okay. That Yoon makes, you know, that that the chief economist makes, is that ultimately, okay, they'll get their cake and eat it too. Because here's why: initially, demand for home purchasing may drop. Right. Rental demand will surge as a result, and supply stays static. So when supply stays static. Stays static. Man, that's, that's, a tongue that, that's tough. Yeah. When supply doesn't change. Yeah. And, and the demand, and demand increases. Cool and de- well, no, no, demand for rental increases. Demand for rental increases. Yeah. Price of rents goes up. Okay. And then the rent by comparison becomes out of whack and people go back to buying. Okay. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Do you follow what I'm saying there? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, hey, the, the simple point is I'm not a Harvard educated economist. Okay. Okay. So, and so you'll let him have this one. I'm going to let him have this one. <laughs> okay. Okay. And I'll let the guy advising Trump on how to how to build his tax plan. I'll let him have his arguments. Here's what I see as an interesting trend. I think that in a lot, a a vast majority of this country, okay, your bubbles and your bursts occur at the market extremes. Okay. So when you see the cheapest real estate surge in price, okay, because people based on the economy or tax breaks or any sort of inflated kind of external kind of factor start choosing homeownership at rates higher than they would normally, okay? And so demand and supply reach reach a point where sales happen that didn't normally happen. Right. And – where the top end of the market surges in price based on, you know, and sales are driving that. I, I think what really what really happens is is you get your bubble burst at the two extremes, okay. And several people that if you just follow, you know, very, you know, intriguing personalities out there would have you see that the middle segment of the market, right? I'd, I'd say twenty percent above and below the average. Okay. Right? You know, that middle kind of ground, that middle 40%, sales will stay strong there. And rents will stay strong there. So if you're 
if you have short supply and you're relying upon builders with illiquid markets, okay, to supply your inventory, what you're going to end up having, Gabe, is you're going to have disincentivized millennials, okay, that come around to buying because of the rent buy comparison. Yeah, it takes a while in a roundabout way. They come back, though. They come back. And and I think in the short run, this is really good for real estate investors. So how so? So it makes it makes the, you know, probably a thousand dollar rent price like more, more attainable. It it makes it it makes it exciting. Yeah. You I think if you're if you're if you own a thousand dollar a month rental property, whether it be a thousand dollars a door on apartments or a thousand dollars a door on houses or you know, whether you're in Chicago or Louisville or you know, little country town, right? If you own a thousand dollar a month rentals, you're going to be able to fill your rentals. Mm-hmm. And I think that any sort of disincentive from homeownership for millennials makes the world a lot better place to be an investor. There you go. Well, I mean, a, that makes a sense. lot better place. So if 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 I'm today's real estate professional, I'm thinking about how to acquire property in the middle of my market. Okay, in such a way that I can rent it out for, call it eight hundred to fifteen hundred a month. Okay, call it seven hundred to thirteen hundred a month. You know, within within a few hundred dollars. Okay, of that thousand dollar a month price point, you need to be finding that. So those things are never going away. That's interesting though, because we're talking about how the news that people may be disincentivized to purchase homes in the near future could be good news for you. It doesn't sound like it would necessarily be good news, but like I, I walked out of there saying I need to go home and buy more, buy more rental houses. Yeah. I mean, it's creating new kinds of opportunity, not the I kind of opportunity to, where you find people to sell houses too, but you sell them to yourself. I need to find, I need to find a way to force multiply a thousand dollar a month rentals. Yeah. Like whether that's, you know, $80,000 a door, apartments that rent for a thousand dollars a month, you know, that turns the cap rate that that brings or whether it's, you know, hundred thousand dollar rental houses that rent for a thousand dollars a month. You know, how do I do that? How do I do more of that? How do I teach my agents? How do I teach my partners? How do I teach my clients how to do more of those? Because tell me, Gabe, serious business, dude, do you ever see that going away? What in all reality like, what do you get for a thousand bucks a month anymore? It's not a lot. It's not no. a palace. I mean, I'll tell you when when my wife and I got married, our first place that we lived was an apartment. I mean, and of course, it varies from market to market. I know, but real quickly, our rent went up while we were there, and we were paying a thousand dollars a month, and we were in an eight hundred and fifty square foot apartment. So, I mean, in Louisville, Kentucky, yeah. And we I mean there were houses for rent that were way bigger than that, and we had that option too. But it's like you said, a thousand dollars a month doesn't go super far. No, absolutely not. I I can tell you this. I don't know a whole lot of millennials that really enjoy mowing grass. <laughs> you know, you may enjoy mowing grass, Gabe. I'm my own grass. You, yeah. you enjoy mowing your own grass. It's a cathartic experience for me, actually. <laughs> I mean, we won't get into that, but I really enjoy mowing grass. At some point, you won't. No, yeah, you're right. <laughs> At some point, you won't. And I bet it's not as far away as you think. I, <laughs> I, I enjoy mowing grass, I guess, kind of. I don't know. I think I like making money more. Okay. You know, I think I like spending more time with my kids. Oh, so you're not talking about mowing grass as a purely recreational activity. You're talking about no. I mean, making money doing it. I you, no. I'm not talking about making money. I'm talking okay. about like 
spending more time with my kids and and or earning a living oh, okay. in the time that I could spend mowing grass. Okay, I'm following no, you. No, here's my point. My point is, because we're going to go way off topic, way off. <laughs> this could go way off the road. I'm going to steer you away here. Go um, ahead. No, I, I think that millennials are somewhat indifferent in homeownership. I think a percentage do it because it's the thing to do. I think a percentage do it because they're incentivized to do it. I think, you know, some just do it because they don't, they don't know why. Really? Yeah. I feel like for me, the biggest, like I said before, the biggest thing is it's cheaper than rent. Dude. It's and, a no brainer. And, and that's, and that's incentive. That's incentive. Sure. Okay. I think there's, there's no real explanation. Like the, the generation is so diverse, Gabe. They're so diverse that, and you know, we joke. I mean, you tell me not to generalize, and I do, and I, I even do. But it's a, jo- <laughs> but it's a joke. It, it really is a joke. My my true and honest opinion of the millennial generation is that they are so diverse that you literally cannot generalize. But I think to an extent, there is not one single large enough motivational factor that can be attributed to their thoughts on homeownership yeah. that they can be disincentivized sure. or de-incentivized. Am I like totally butchering this word? Uh, which word is it? I don't is really it de-incentivized know. or disincentivized? Either way. <laughs> I've been saying disincentivized. So hey, know. you know what? Somebody please tell me. Yeah. Because I did, last <laughs> thing I want to do is butcher a word. Um, butcher my prefix. Anyway, I don't. I just don't know that they care enough, man. Well, maybe it's not so much about not caring as it is that there are some dis, disincentives in place. I mean, like I said, I'm not going to generalize, but there's this there's this idea that millennials are afraid of long term commitments, and I mean, I think a lot of people look at a 30 year mortgage, and that seems a little bit uh, harrowing. You know what I mean? Like if you're not if you're not especially if you're not sure who you're going to live with because not all millennials are moving in uh with a spouse you know some of them are moving in or buying a house i sold a house to a guy my own age and he's moving in with a roommate you know so i mean there's all kinds of situations and maybe you're not sure you want to commit to that kind of long term living situation if you don't have your your p's and q's sorted out you know what i mean well i mean i've i've quoted grant cardone quite a bit on this podcast. And I actually believe that the guy has some really intriguing ideas. And he says that no one should own where they live. You should rent where you live for mobility and you should be prepared to go wherever the income is for you, for what you do best. That could be Austin, Texas or San Francisco or Tampa, Florida or Louisville, Kentucky, but you shouldn't own because it, because it grounds you in ways that you shouldn't be grounded. He says that you should take the money that you spend buying your first home and buy multifamily property. Yeah. Even if you have to combine your funds with someone else and take a partner in order to do it, you should force multiply what that money can do for you rather than using it to buy one house for yourself, to buy one house for yourself that you pay for. Yeah. That doesn't generate income. That does not generate income. And that goes back to Robert Kiyosaki. I mean, I get that. I mean, it makes sense, but how applicable is that to every single person? I I don't know. It it depends on what your values are. Mm -hmm. Right. And so his argument would be my values are whatever I want them to be because I make as much money as I can possibly make. And I do exactly what I want to do and I can't be held down and I can't be told no because of the way that I do things. Yeah. Right. Now, how realistic is it for everyone to execute that plan? Probably not realistic, partially because they're just not willing to make the sacrifices he has. Yeah. I mean, you're sacrificing stability. You're sacrificing. He would argue no. 
He would argue that you're not. Okay. But that's how you think, obviously, because that's where you went first. And I see where your point of view is. Well, yeah. I mean, if I went home and told my wife that we're selling the house because we need to rent and and buy multifamily property because I need to be able to jump and run to wherever the wind takes me. Exactly. I don't know that it would go over very well. No, it wouldn't. But there's a subset of the population that really believes in what he has to say because it's it's contrarian. We talk about it. It also makes sense. I mean, if you. It, like what he's saying in a linear way, it makes sense. Like as far as generating income, and, and you know what, off. gurus sell linear. You know that, right? Yeah. Do step one, then step two, then step three, and then we talked. We talked about that a few episodes back. Yeah. Like gurus sell linear because it makes sense, and that's how the easiest, that's the quickest and easiest way to separate you from your money. Yeah. Is sell linear. <laughs> okay. You know, the truth is, is my wife wouldn't dig that either. Right. Okay. And he also says, when you buy rental property, don't buy houses. That's dumb. Well, I don't think it's dumb. Like when I can get a 13% return on a house and I can get a 6% return on per door on an apartment, why would I not yeah. want 14? Why would, why would I not want 12 houses versus 12 apartments? Yeah. And I mean, where, where is he from? He's, I mean, I don't know where he's, he lives in Miami. He owns okay. property all over the country. His, his whole argument, we're going to end up having to do a freaking episode on this guy. <laughs> um, maybe we can get him as a guest. That'd be something. Hey, you know what? I'll work on that. Okay. Um, I have no hookup, full disclosure. <laughs> but uh, Tom Ferry just just uh, interviewed him in the Tom Ferry show a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, but, I saw that. Um, really cool. And, and like Tom has to be very careful with that because Grant is pretty loud about like not promoting home ownership, and oh, Tom yeah. sells coaching to agents who sell houses, right? You know, um, I guess the same could be said for you know my opinion coming away from the the chief economist talk, but. I mean, frankly, I'm I'm an investor at heart, so I get excited. Yeah. Um, neither here nor there. I mean, Grant has some very, very interesting opinions, and he's contrarian. He sells what he can sell. And, you know, I I think there's some merit to the to his arguments. I don't buy him hook, line, and sinker, and I certainly don't think it's smart to buy twelve units. At the same cost per unit with a 6% return that I could buy at a 13% return. Yeah. It's a matter of effort. He bought a jet before he bought a house because he said <laughs> that he, he rationalized that he could fly all over America doing business and make more money because of it. Yeah. Mobility is, is his play. It's his argument. It's very, it's very interesting. And he's a very interesting character. So. He is. Have you followed him at all? Not a little bit. Well, I mean, he's worth he's worth checking out. Don't pay him any money, though. <laughs> gotcha. You know, he definitely won't come on the show now. I just told you not to pay him any money. Um, well, I'll scrub that out. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, oh, come on, Grant. Don't hold it against me. <laughs> you, you know. Anyway, uh, going back to the Economist talk, man. There, there's some really, really interesting stuff there. Um, he predicted some future boom towns, which, and since you know, what's funny is I sat in this talk. And it had not been announced who who was going to receive HQ Amazon HQ two. Oh yeah, has that been decided yet? San Diego, California. No brainer. Okay. <sighs> God, it just like what did we think nuts. it was going to be in Minneapolis or something? I no, <laughs> I mean there was talk of uh, you know there was talk of several places, but like I think some people had some pie in the sky for Louisville because of UPS and yeah, I mean probably not. Yeah, like I think Memphis because of FedEx was a much better choice, but like they didn't even have a shot, frankly. Yeah. Um. You know, uh, he he talked about a few future boom towns, which I get to kind of see Louisville creeping in here. Um, Mobile, Alabama. 
random. Okay. Um, and that's because a relative low price of real estate, frankly, and okay. proximity to certain things. Savannah, Georgia. Yeah. Um, and he referenced Portland, Oregon as an example for why. Okay. Um, these, these couple of places can be, he, he talked about Silicon Valley and how basically it was an apple orchard and now is some of the most, you know, uh, expensive real estate on the planet. Right. Because a few guys that manufactured microchips decided that they were going to go and make the home of microchips. They were going to make the home of that where there was cheap real estate. Yeah. And Louisville has cheap. It's not because you can like mine very rare ores out of the ground. No, (laughs) no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with. I mean, it was basically because they could buy that. That was the cheapest land they could buy in mass. There you go. And surrounding Louisville, Kentucky, there is some of that. So I could see, I could see us, you know, the big thing that we have going against us is we have a bit of a, a challenge with local government and growth. But I mean, I would love to see us go get, go get some big kind of, tech player but oh yeah i don't see it happening all right so um something else very very interesting to understand is that home prices have increased from 2011 to 2017 on average by 48 percent in the united states Hmm. now some would argue that part of that increase was was already baked in because it was depressed because of the great recession so but but give me give me an idea give me a guess Let's see if you can make my point for me what would you think incomes have risen over the same period of time home prices up 48% incomes i'm going to say not as much am i at least in the right ballpark yep it's definitely less i would i would say maybe oh, 20% 15 okay i wasn't too far so think on that yeah I for mean, a that second. has implications for sure. Huge oh. implications. Okay, now now think on this. At the same time, we have had historically low interest rates. Okay. So those that currently own homes or have owned homes since 2011 yeah. have benefited from a 48% increase in value Yeah, that's on m- average. That's nothing small. Yeah. So with interest rates being low, they get to make use of the low interest rates and they get to use – Make use their even though the, even though their build. income hasn't gone up, they get to make use of their equity to buy their next home. Right, but who has to buy that home that they're selling? Mm, the first time home buyer and- who hasn't got to make use of forty eight percent price increases and whose incomes are only risen fifteen percent over six years. Yeah, no, that's an immediate barrier. So their price has gone up fifteen percent, but their income hasn't kept pace. Yeah, or their price has gone up almost fifty percent. Is that what I said? I thought you said fifteen. I don't know. Whatever, forty eight percent. Yeah, forty eight percent price increases. For the person who didn't own a home. Yeah. Because it's just price increase for them. It's not an equity increase on the opposite side. Okay. So what if rates go up? If rates go up, I mean, it completely seals the deal. I it mean, that's, seals the deal on first-time home buyers. Yeah. I mean, that's the nail in the coffin. Pretty pretty outrageous to consider, right? So It goes back to that whole rental thing. So Boom. But what happens when rents go up? I mean, it's like we said, they're going to find their way back to home buying, but we're going to have to have some kind of correction that makes it a little big, more feasible by that point. Big cycle. So let me ask you this. What do you think is the single largest reason cited of recent college graduates on why they don't buy homes? The ones that don't. The number one reason they don't buy homes. Recent college graduates? Yep. Uh, job uncertainty, maybe? They're not sure where they're going to move to with their job? Student loan debt. Oh, well, duh. And, and I it take was, back my previous And answer. it was cited by 76% oh, yeah. of those that didn't buy. No, I can't believe I didn't think of that first, but that makes a lot of sense. So, so I mean, there's a whole lot 
there's a whole lot that is contributing. Like, you know, if you go back to the archives, right? Like I said, and I think you agreed with me from personal experience that millennials believe in home ownership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Millennials are all about it. Yeah. They understand that it's a, it's a good deal. It, yeah. But, um, but is it? Well, it's like you graduate college and it's like, Hey, congrats on all that debt. Would you like some more debt? <laughs> yeah. Well, home affordability is frankly just at, it's at an all time low. Mm-hmm. Home affordability is an all time low because of increased consumer debt, which includes student loans. Right. Um, low, uh, or, or below market increases in income and increased home prices. Home prices. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you expect, man? What do you expect to come of this? I think it cools off even more. I mean, naturally, especially if like we cited in episodes past that the millennial generation is going to make up, it already makes up a large, large percentage of current home buyers. And I think that's only going to increase here in the next few years. But this seems to make it sound like the largest slice of the home buyer pie is going to start to change their minds a little bit. I, it, it could. Or be forced out. It could. They could be forced out. That's, that's the thing to keep an eye on. Okay. You know, another thing that you could understand is that the, the, the ratio of home ownership, um, from end user to investor has, has become a bit out of balance. It's, you know, I, I think it's roughly like 5149 investor in favor, in favor of investor over end user or occupy, owner right, occupant. Owner occupant. Yeah. Right. So there's a large segment of housing out there owned by investors, you know, that's inventory that we could use Mm -hmm. to balance our market. But instead it's going to become rental property. Potentially. Well, it's already is. Well, yeah, it already is. So, so that's why we got to rely on builders. Okay. And in places like where we're at, yeah, that requires sprawl. Yeah. And And we've got, we've got places to sprawl into, but, but do people want to live there? And what price point are we building in? Because are we building affordable housing for like first time homebuyer housing? Right now in Louisville, I don't think that's exactly would you what we're wanna seeing. buy would you wanna move thirty miles further out, okay, to buy a home at median price, or do you wanna pay the equivalent rent where you wanna be? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, it's a challenge. There there's there's so much to consider, man. And you know, I didn't f- I wanted to impact some of this stuff. And and I can kind of arrive at a recommendation, if you will, for for the bulk of our audience, which are real estate professionals. Right. Okay. And if I had to, here's what I would say. Focus your efforts on the segment of the market that is most recession-proof. Focus your efforts on knowing that market the best. Okay. Know it inside and out. In your marketplace, know the middle segment of the market inside and out. This is that 40% middle. The 40% middle, 20% above and below the median price. Yeah. Okay. Know that like the back of your hand. Sell it, trade in it, do everything you can, and also invest in rental property there. Absolutely. Okay. Invest in rental property there. We understand that. It doesn't take a whole lot of transactions to make a solid life in real estate. Okay. You can help two to three clients per month and make very good money. Okay. Putting yourself in a position where you can invest in real estate and you should. You should because A, 
you're not going to always be wanting to go out there and do what it takes to sell houses. To do you don't, three or four months, yeah. You know that technology is fighting against you. You know that the market is fighting against you. You know that the consumer continually expects more for less, and it's probably not going to change. Do what you can. Build a business you can be proud of in that middle segment of the market. And if you transact at the high end, which is the sexy place to be, understand that it's, markets, that, yeah. it's, that it's going to correct. Okay? And, and if you're like me and you're selling bank foreclosures at the low end of the market because the market's not very good and that's what you have to sell, understand that's going to correct. Okay? And always move back towards the middle, but, but own a piece of that pie. Yeah. Okay? Because seriously, man, you, we, we don't have any pension plan, which nope. pension plans may not exist. In five years anyway, but <laughs> you know, you don't have any social security. Yeah. No social, social security. I'm going country on everybody. <laughs> social right security. Now. Social security. No, <laughs> I, I'm, there is no social, social security coming. Like, you, you know, it's funny. My dad asked me the other day, he goes, what do you think is more likely? You ever seeing a social security check or you ever seeing an alien? <laughs> What's more likely? He literally asked me that question. What was your answer? <laughs> I think I think I said the alien. I mean, we could have likely. a whole episode about that, about I my thoughts it, on that. But. I think it was more likely to see an alien, frankly. Because I truly believe there is a, there are aliens yeah. out there somewhere. I'm going to go on the record and say me too. Okay. You also believe in unicorns, though. Oh, okay. Um, well, we'll stop there. I won't we can have any- a whole episode about <laughs> theories if you want. <laughs> I uh, No, I, I, I firmly believe there are aliens, and I firmly believe I will never get a check. Dude, we have went off the rails here. <laughs> let me let me bring you back real quick before we finish. I want to go back to one thing you said because I read something recently. You know, obviously recently there were all the, the wildfires out in California that devastated a lot of um, suburban areas, you know, a lot of neighborhoods. And one of the things I was reading that really struck me uh, was an article that I found that with a lot of existing homes destroyed, the communities were going to have to really lean heavily on new construction uh, to – make it possible for people to have somewhere to live. And they were like, almost like it was an emergency situation because there was no planned, not no planned developments, but there was not enough planned developments to get anywhere near that. And I understand that's a catastrophic, you know, different situation, but do you think that it's the responsibility of, or do we really need to look to new construction to be the savior of the day for, cause I mean, You've, you've spelled out what agents need to do and industry professionals need to do to insulate themselves against changes. And we've always talked about that. But what about what about the market at large? I mean, if we're talking about a huge dip in incentivized, you know, potential homeowners, and then we're talking about rent, you know, rental properties upscaling to the point where people can't afford them. How are we going to I mean, where does it go from there? I mean, well, I mean, these are market dynamics, right? So rents will never get farther. I mean, the. the those. We're not going to see rents be so high that people won't pay them, and then also home prices be so high that people can't. No, it's either. one or the other. I, I mean, mean they, we won't they, have people living on the street. In they mass, work. But. They work conversely. I, but is new construction the answer, or is it, it something? I else? think it has to be. I think it has to be. But I mean, I've talked about infill being the trend, but right now, Gabe, what we're experiencing is we're experiencing, you know, price appreciation based on lack of inventory. Right. And strong demand. Okay. So, you know, one thing I didn't say, but, you know, the the new construction starts are moving in the right direction. Like, their building is, is happening, right? But it's still below our 50-year average. Yeah. 
Okay. And like I said, it's in price points that aren't necessarily conducive to the first time home buyer, especially if we're talking about only 15% increases in, in income. The, the truth is, man, the truth is, is the building materials are a lot more expensive today than they were when previous homes were constructed. I mean, sure. Yeah. And so you can buy existing for a lot cheaper than you can buy new. So there's got to be some solution to that. There's got to be, that equation has to be solved for. And, and I don't know the answer, like other than, Moving to areas where land is cheaper so that the the price break can be had based on the development cost. Yeah. But like you said, are people wanting to do that? No. No. I wouldn't. No personally. is the answer. Um, You know, until you have to make a really hard decision, and I think hard decisions are coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it sounds like I think it. I think the Gabe of 10 years from now is going to have to consider whether he wants to move 30 miles farther out. Okay. To, to buy to to purchase affordable housing or does he want to pay significantly higher than what that mortgage payment would be in rent and because be- he won't be afford he won't be able to afford the house he wants to purchase where he wants to purchase it right because incomes are not going there they're not and you it's know, already happening in some places. And, and I don't want to become a doomsdayer right yeah. but like this happens in a lot of civilized societies Right, the 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 disintegration of the middle class, right? Yeah, I mean it really is, and and there's really complex economics at play. Like I'm a capitalist. I mean, if you do something better than everyone else, I believe you should be compensated for that. Okay, and if you don't do anything, conversely, you don't deserve any compensation for that. Okay, so I don't know where this is headed. I I tell you what, I'm going to do. What I'm going to buy more rental houses. Yeah, there you go. I'm going to focus on where my business is most valuable to my clients. Okay. And I'm going to buy more rental houses. I'm going to buy more rental houses in areas that I think that the Jay and Gabe of 10 years from now will want to rent or will want to pay me handsomely to purchase. And I'm going to buy those and I'm going to buy them. At historically low interest rates, if I finance, mm-hmm. okay, and I'm going to plug them into a proven system, and I'm just going to, and I'm just going to let that rental faucet just drip. There you go. That's what I'm after. But I don't know what to tell the consumer ten years from now, man. Uh, that was going to be my next question. So, what's the consumer do? But the the consumer buy now. Yeah, before it's too late. <laughs> buy now. I mean, seriously, buy now and. You know, be nimble, you know, save your money. Dude, there's not, you, you have to understand, man, there's not a recession. There, there's been, there's been two situations probably in the history, the great recession and the great depression that truly limited people's options. Most recessions, Gabe, I mean, they're hiccups. They're a blip on the radar. You yeah. know, most, most of the, most of the losses are paper losses. Okay. So, I don't know what to tell the consumer, man. Like, I mean, you're already, a lot of people are already priced out. So I I was walking through downtown Chicago and and granted, this is a ritzy part of town, right? This is like expensive. Uh, Studio apartment, probably 600 square feet. Take a guess. Uh, Downtown Chicago. I'm not super familiar, but let's, let's take a stab at your 600. What is it? 1300 a month? 2600. Oh my gosh. I had one, (laughs) one bedroom, 3100. Two bedroom, 3600. That hurts me. Three bedroom. Forty eight hundred. 
Mm. And I mean, is the is the average income there even close to keeping no. up with that pace? I mean, the people that live in this area, I'm sure they can afford it. But I mean, I guarantee you, there's some studio twenty. What did I, what did I say? Twenty six hundred. Mm-hmm. Some studio people that are young professionals, like that just. Well, it's like you said, they've got the choice in the one hand to pay that premium to live there, or they got to go out of the city. And if you work in Chicago, if you work in downtown Chicago, it's a challenge. I mean, I, I don't live there, but I know it is a challenge to get in and out and in oh, yeah, and out. Dan Ryan. I mean, come on. <laughs> Traffic is outrageous. Anyway, um, buy more rental houses, folks. Yep. That's the way I see it. Well, it sounds like you got a lot out of your, uh, out of your weekend jaunt. Over I did, to man. NAR. I got, I got really, um, I got, I got really, really excited about this talk and I, you know, really excited to bring it back. I mean, that, that 15% income growth versus 48% value growth. Staggering. Staggering, man. If you're not a homeowner already, if you didn't get That's to take really advantage, bad news. <laughs> if you didn't get to take care of that run up, I mean, you're at a, you're at a 33% deficiency. Yep. Like, I mean, it's crazy. That's, that's crazy. And I know those are not dollar for dollar comparisons, but I'm just saying, sure. like, that's crazy. If you're not in the game, you're, you're not going to get in the game. Yeah. Well, I know more than just ideas. I know you met a lot of interesting people this weekend too at NAR, some, uh, some heavy hitters in the industry who may be joining us here soon. So yeah, that's about all the time we've got for today, but make sure to tune in next time. We're going to have a guest with us that'll, that'll definitely be worth listening to. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, but again, keep in mind that you can find us over at resourcepodcast.net uh, for all of our past episodes as well. If you're just joining us now, there's a, there's a whole bunch of past episodes that you can catch up on there for a lot of the stuff we've talked about today and a little bit more, a little more in-depth. Absolutely. And if you've been receiving our, our the sections that we've been sending out of our buyer guide, uh, we really would love your feedback on that. Hope you're enjoying that. I think we're up to section four. This, this should week. be the fourth section. Yeah. Section four coming out. Um, head over to resourcepodcast.net. Become a qualified subscriber. Just, you know, sign up right there on the website. We'd love to get it out to you. We'll shoot it out to you via email. Um, and, and future episodes, will keep you abreast of who we have coming on the show, what our topics are, get you access to all of our, our premium content and everything that we offer here at resource. Again, we just appreciate you tuning in folks. We we've got a lot to say. We, we hope you find it valuable. Yep. And make sure to give us your feedback too. We need to know is it disincentivized? Is it de-incentivized? I looked it up. It's disincentivized. Yes. I awesome. looked it up. I should have trusted my gut. <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys next time, folks. This has been resource real talk about real estate.